You're listening to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ 750 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago. morning Chicago you are welcome you are welcome and we are excited to host you on the fully alive radio program which is the radio program of the Office of Human Dignity and Solidarity at the Archdiocese of Chicago I'm your host this morning Dawn Fitzpatrick along with me in the studio is Ray Pingoy who works with me in the Office of Human Dignity and Solidarity good morning Ray good morning good morning happy new year happy new year I think this is the first time we've been in the studio together that's I don't right know. second it, month first but first time together. First time together. In I was studio. on a radio. Yeah, I was on the phone last night. Right, right. So uh, those of you that are watching us on YouTube can see we're socially distanced. <laughs> and we, you know, carefully, carefully have our masks on and all of that. Um, but it is so nice to be here with you, Ray, at our at our Quigley building. So, yeah, 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 that's right. And uh, second, our second month of the year. It's been a, a quite a busy uh, last month, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Well, you know, because we did have the March for Life Chicago, mm-hmm. and it was in six different locations this year. Mm-hmm. Um, we also had our Mass for Life, which was just phenomenal, and we were able to broadcast that on YouTube and relevant radio all over the country. It was beautiful. Um, and then, of course, last Friday was the virtual March for Life um, which I tuned into. They certainly did a nice job. Yes, yeah. Um, But there's something else we want to talk about today. Um, This is kind of a a very special episode that we're doing. Um, Those of you who follow the the pro-life world are probably very fond of and have a great memory of the late, great Joe Scheidler, who who we we lost. He passed on uh, the 18th of January at the age of 93, surrounded by family, um, and it was just it was just an incredibly beautiful death from what I understand. I was able to go to his funeral um, last week, and, and I'll tell you, Ray, I think that was the most beautiful funeral I've ever mm. seen. Um, yeah. But we want to talk about him a bit this morning and, um, and just kind of, you know, pay tribute to him and, and give him a nice memorial for all of our listeners. Um, and so to help us do that, on the phone right now, we have his oldest son, Eric Scheidler, who is his oldest child, and also the executive director of the Pro-Life Action League, which was founded by Joe. So welcome, Eric. Glad to be with you. Thanks for joining us. I know uh, we had a little bit of a late start, but um, we're so glad you're with us because I can't think of a better way to spend a good portion of the show than honoring your father. Um, Just what an incredible person. I know um, I came to Chicago about seven years ago, and he was one of the first people in the pro-life community I met, and I learned so much about him. And um, actually, I, I'd like to think I was a friend of his, um, which is such an incredible thing. And I know 
listening to um, people talk about him at the funeral and at your reception, um, people were saying that, you know, he was so personable that you were always the only person he was talking to, you know, no matter what he was doing. He, he was so personable. So um, so what's it like to be the son of such a legend, Eric? <laughs> well, that's a, that's a difficult question to unpack, um, especially in a short radio program, because there's ups and downs with it, you know. There's mm-hmm. positives and negatives, you know. Sure. Uh, my siblings and I all got to um, to see in action somebody putting their convictions um, at the forefront, somebody who was led by conviction, who um, moved out of comfort zone after comfort zone after comfort zone, mm-hmm. drawn by the Holy Spirit and his, his faithfulness to God's call. But at the same time, that put a, a serious strain on the family. Sure. Especially during the kind of heydays of street activism, mm-hmm. um, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, uh, he was, you know, he was on the road constantly after he founded the Pro-Life Action League in 1980, especially. Mm-hmm. He was on the road, and so, you know, we, we missed him. Um, you know, there was a, a time in my teenage years that I, I was hardly seeing him on the weekends. And, you know, that has an impact, too. So, you know, we were incredibly blessed to have such an, uh, you know, a great example of Christian service. But there were, you know, challenges inside the family, too, a lot of sacrifices that we carried. And that's why I think it's, um, it's especially fitting the, uh, you know, especially the praise that's been, been coming my mother's way these past mm-hmm. two weeks since my dad passed away. Sure. Um, you know, she was always at his side. It was uh, with her that he made the decision to leave the uh, you know, business world, the, the ad marketing world that he had been part of, you know, lucrative career that he had there in order to devote himself and the family to this fight against abortion. And, um, you know, it's, it's gratifying to see the recognition of, of the family's, um, you know, role in all of that, um, yeah. because it really was very much of a family affair, uh, led by, of course, the, you know, tremendous faithfulness and vision of Joe Scheidler. Sure, sure. Um, so, you know, the, the, the story kind of goes that, you know, he was out at— um, was it that was it he out at the March for Life, the first March for Life, uh, when he decided that he was going to devote his career to it? Um, it was right after the Roe versus Wade decision. Is that correct? No, not quite. Um, okay. It's a little bit more complicated story, but it was it was a rally at the Civic Center in Chicago. Oh, okay. With now the Richard J. Daley Plaza, where um, you know we had determinants for March for Life Chicago once or twice. Um, and it was there that he was at a rally in, in October of 72, so this is before Roe v. Wade. Oh, okay. My mother uh, kind of goaded him into taking the family down to the Civic Center for this rally because, you know, they were trying to change the laws protecting children from abortion all around the country. Mm-hmm. And it was a very, um, very serious fight. Uh, there's a sort of misunderstanding these days that abortion was kind of inevitable, that it was coming our way, and the Supreme Court just kind of, sped up the process with Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton, but that's not really true. There was a strong movement against some of the liberalization of abortion laws that had already happened. People were seeing, for example, how New York was becoming such a hellhole of abortion. Just all over, the people from all over the country were coming there for these abortions, very late in pregnancy even. Mm. And there was a, a growing awareness that this was not the right answer. Um, the Supreme Court pulled the plug on that movement, but part of that was you know, the effort in Illinois to keep our laws from changing. And my parents went down to that event, and my dad was handed a flyer with a picture of aborted babies from Canada where abortion was legalized earlier. Mm. And in the faces of one of these babies stacked up in this dumpster that had been aborted very late in pregnancy, 
he saw uh, a, a face similar to my own baby picture. So mm-hmm. his, at that time, uh, six-year-old son, Eric, uh, he was remembering my baby picture. And, and that was what made abortion personal for him. And he started to study up on the issue. He didn't even know that Roe v. Wade was sitting before the Supreme Court waiting for a ruling. So it wasn't until you know, January 23rd, the day after that ruling, he happened to be homesick with pneumonia at the time. And he was reading the paper about this decision that had been made and, and just was shocked. He became a, kind of obsessed with the abortion issue, so much so that one of his uh, bosses, who was a good Catholic guy and a fellow Notre Dame graduate, mm-hmm. uh, took him aside and said, Joe, I really think you uh, have a calling here, you know. We'll, we'll put you on uh, leave of absence and make sure you get you know, the insurance you need for your pregnant wife and, and um, go out and start this new project. This is where your heart is. And so he took that advice and started a small not-for-profit organization, and soon thereafter became the executive director of Illinois Right to Life, but then in 1980 founded the Pro-Life Action League because he felt that his calling was in direct action, yeah. uh, going out on the streets and making uh, the nation uncomfortable with abortion, which indeed it should be. Yes, definitely. Well, and, you know, people are calling him the godfather of pro-life activism. (laughs) So I I really think um, he kind of started the pro-life activism. Isn't that true? Well, you know, it depends on kind of how you define activism, but um, he absolutely um, kind of put up shied the brand on activism um, and was sort of the the motivator because he was learning what different people were doing. You know, um, he would hear about a kind of protest or creative way of getting information, you know, out to the public through the local libraries or whatever, and he would uh, he would spread the word about it, first mm-hmm. through his call-in hotline that he established way back in the 70s, and then he recorded up until his last week of life. Um, so for years and years, people could call in to get information. He could share what he was learning. Mm-hmm. And then he finally published his first book, Closed, 99 Ways to Stop Abortion, that uh, gathered all of these techniques that he had been hearing about and practicing and refining. And that really, you know, became the pro-life activist manual. So Mm -hmm. he was the one who trained people and popularized this type of activism and and really made it sort of bread and butter. I mean, it's hard to find a a Catholic parish, for example, across the country today that doesn't have somebody doing some kind of pro-life action. Mm -hmm. And that is directly or indirectly inspired by the example of Joe Shadler. And in many cases, it is, is very direct. People who heard a talk or saw a TV show, saw him on Phil Donahue or Nightline <laughs> or one of those old shows, read his book or, or you know, just um, found out about this guy and, and then decided, decided to get involved themselves. Sure. Well, and it sounds like um, he, he became very well-known pretty early. I, I think I, I read that from you that he met Ronald Reagan and Mother Teresa, among others, um, that's right. And some notorious figures. He shared a cab with Dr. George Tiller, the notorious late-term abortionist. Um, they were both headed to the National Abortion Federation meeting, Tiller wow. to speak, and my father to protest and infiltrate. He got to meet Warren Berger, um, the uh, uh, author of, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Harry Blackman, the author of Roe v. Wade. Oh, wow. oh, gosh. At a cocktail party in Chicago. He met St. Pope John Paul II. Mm. And... Um, you know, just had a historic life, met all these major figures. Yeah. Mother Teresa actually stood on a box of his books once at a Catholic <laughs> prayer breakfast because oh, she was man. too short for yes. the podium, and he had these two books. He had these two boxes of books he wasn't allowed to sell at the National Right to Life Convention oh, wow. that had been taking place because of his legal issues. They were sort of afraid to have this guy speak. 
And uh, so we had these extra boxes, and it turned out to be the, you know, <laughs> Mother Teresa's guardian angel's way of, of getting her a booster. Oh, my gosh. It's podium. Hey, Eric, this is Rage. It's just beautiful how um, we're all hearing all these great stories about your dad. I, I mean, he lived the, the fullness of life here. And I, I just wanted to ask you, uh, man, uh, one of, what are, what's the one thing that you think was his one key, I mean, the many legacies that he leaves behind, but what's the one key legacy that he leaves behind with us here now? I think it comes down to the Benedictine motto, that he really took to heart during his many years of seminary and mm-hmm. time in the Monastery of St. Meinrad in Indiana, mm-hmm. which is Ora et Labora. That's Latin for pray and work. Mm-hmm. These two things go hand in hand. The Benedictines knew this. It's not enough just to be a contemplative praying away. You also have to do some work. So mm-hmm. the Benedictines are, you know, they till the fields, they work in the gardens, they, you know, they, they upkeep the grounds, they... Uh, you know, do teaching sometimes. You do all kinds of different things for the labora or work part of it. Mm-hmm. But the labora is not something that you just do to fill in some check boxes. Mm-hmm. It is based on and grows from the prayer that is the aura part of it. And that was my father's philosophy of life, and that was his philosophy of pro-life activism. Uh, our staff meetings always started mm-hmm. with prayer, of course, and our, our protests began and ended with prayer. Mm-hmm. Prayer is the foundation of everything. We but we get from prayer our marching orders. Prayer doesn't end um, our, our activism. It begins our activism. And, and then, so the other part of that, the, it's, it's a, a very personal thing. So it's not just Ora et Labora as a slogan up on a church wall that you can admire from afar. It's something that each one of us needs to take to heart. And that was really my father's message. Mm-hmm. Pray and ask God what he's asking you to do. Mm-hmm. Pray to find out what God wants you to do to save babies from abortion. And that could be to become a, a prayer partner for a sidewalk counselor on a regular basis. It could be to go an even farther step and be a sidewalk counselor. It could be to volunteer at a pregnancy center. Mm-hmm. It could be to become a major benefactor for a mm-hmm. pro-life organization that's doing this kind of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be to, um, you know, to join the protesters on the front lines outside of uh, you know, abor- abortion parties and fundraisers. But God is surely calling you to some kind of action on behalf of his little ones. And that was my father's. My father's uh, central mission was to, was to share that with people and encourage regular Catholics, especially, but all Christians or anyone of goodwill, to get to work, take personal responsibility, and get to work saving these babies grounded in prayer. Awesome. Okay, so we need to take a break. Um, when we come back, I think we'll pick up on that theme, Ora e Labora, and talk some more about Joe Scheidler. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. I was covered in sin and shame I heard mercy call my name the sun away Hey, it's Timothy Johnston here from Liturgy Training Publications. Over the past few months, I'm sure you've found yourself at home more whether it's working from home or watching live stream masses on Sunday mornings. As we begin adjusting to this at the beginning of the pandemic, one of the things I missed the most was gathering with friends at the parish. That's why we at LTP have created this new virtual gathering series called Living the Sunday Word. We meet virtually on Thursday evenings each week and reflect on the upcoming Sunday readings. And with that, we share stories to help us more fully reflect on the Word of God. 
I'm inviting each of you to join us, a group of friends meeting virtually from all parts of the country. So visit ltp.org for more information and to register. You won't want to miss this. Hello, I'm Cardinal Blaise Supich. I got my COVID-19 vaccination and you should too. It took just a few seconds and was painless. The Food and Drug Administration determined the new vaccines are safe and effective. And the Holy See, as well as the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops has concluded getting the COVID-19 vaccine is an act of love of our neighbor and part of our moral responsibility for the common good. We have lived with the pandemic for many months, and I know we're all getting tired of it. Vaccination is one of the most important ways you can protect your health and the lives of those you love and help bring the pandemic under control. When it is your turn, I urge you to be vaccinated. And remember, to do your part by wearing a mask, washing your hands, and watching your distance. Thank you, and God bless you all. Thanks for hanging with us through the break on the Folio Live radio program, the radio program of the Office of Human Dignity and Solidarity at the Archdiocese of Chicago. You're listening to Dawn and Ray from Respect Life Ministries at the Office of Human Dignity and Solidarity. And we are talking this morning with, with Eric Scheidler, who is the Executive Director of Pro-Life Action League, which is a nonprofit organization uh, founded by his father, Joe Scheidler. And we're talking about Joe because um, he recently left us for his eternal reward and what an incredible life he led, what an incredible legacy he left for us. Um, and just before the break, we were talking about his motto, his way of life, his philosophy, which is aura e labora, which means pray and work. Um, and, you know, I have to say, just from what I know of Joe, that's, that's just who he was. Mm-hmm. You know, I always saw him as a prayerful person, and I always saw him as somebody that wasn't afraid to jump right in. Up, in, up until like a couple of days before he died, he was still out there. You know, um, I went, I've been to a lot of the things that Pro Life Action League does, like the Truth Tour in the summer and some of their other um, protests around the city. Um, Joe was always there. He was always there. He came to uh, the March for Life Chicago year after year and was walking in the cold. You know, he didn't he didn't just look from afar. He was actually out there marching with us up until last year, you know. So um, what an incredible, incredible person. So let's let's talk about that some more. What um, I also saw, having been to your office um, in the city, Eric, he had just an incredible chapel in his office. Um, Yeah, I I think that, you know, that goes to again to the whole, you know, or at Labora, the um, the motto of the Benedictines is in you know in, in the woodwork above the chapel door. Mm-hmm. It's the Saint Joseph Chapel, and um, you know that was a place for the staff to gather to pray. We mm-hmm. had mass there regularly over the years. You have the Blessed Sacrament reserved, and so a, a real. Um, I mean, it, it's interesting. The chapel itself kind of illustrates that motto because it was a tremendous amount of work mm-hmm. to put that together. 
Um, all kinds of little miracles happen along the way. You know, for example, the Stations of the Cross are these very um, beautiful little plaques um, from a small church, and, and he found 13 of the 14 stations. The mm. one that was missing. Mm. And then one of his friends walked into a secondhand shop and found just that one wow. all by itself. That's the one incredible. that was missing That's appeared incredible. somehow. Mm. Yeah. And it uh, wasn't from the same set. It wasn't even, it was, you could tell from the you know, slight discoloration, it was from a completely different place, but somehow it all came together. Wow. Mm-hmm. And uh, wow. we had a lot of volunteers helping to build that. And so we had, you know, physically built the little Bora, the work of building this chapel that we could then pray in. Um, you know, kind of illustrates that that motto. But, you know, it's for my father's energy. It, it was uncanny. Um, you know, one of my jobs is to invite people to join us out on the streets, and I often get phone calls and emails from people saying, well, oh, no, I'm 75 now, and I can't make it out on the street. Yeah. And I understand that people age in different rates. My father aged very slowly. So, you know, here he was in his 90s last summer when he was still 92, I did. I finally was able to talk him into taking a, a day or two off of the Face the Truth tour because, you know, he's out there under the sun yeah. and, you know, getting older and, and uh, needed a little bit more rest. But it was all he could do to stay home for the day. Um, he hated it. <laughs> he wanted to be out on the street. Uh, you know, and I, I often thought that he might just pass away sitting in his chair on the corner of one of our Truth Tour sites holding that abortion victim photo and, and calling on people to remember these victims and, sure. and sympathize with them. Um, in the event, his death was um, just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, and you know, it maybe sounds strange to say, but especially these days when so many elderly are dying alone and abandoned, mm-hmm. uh, not allowed to see their families in an act of, of well, I can't consider anything but horrific cruelty. I, agree. I think really shows the degree to which our society's moral compass is quite distorted that we are uh, willing to, to kill people with loneliness so that they won't die from, from a respiratory illness. But um, that's to one side. My father was lucky enough to avoid that fate narrowly, very narrowly, um, and was able to come home and, um, and, and be surrounded by his family um, with masks off, you know, loving this man for his last few hours of life and being with him and beholding his face and, and just being present with each other. So... Um, a really beautiful death for him, and, and I think for me especially was a uh, a real um, I don't know just a real sign of the, the goodness of who he was. Um, I've just sort of seen such an underscore to that it reflected in his love for other people. The people who have come to me and said, you know, "Your father was writing me notes of encouragement through the years." Um, you know, your father always took my phone call. You know, your dad wants to. You know. Uh, let let me tell him about my problems with my you know my family or whatever it was he was a he was a compassionate man he, he had time for people he was encouraging he knew when people needed a little bit of encouragement and um, and I feel like just so overwhelmed by um, sort of humility for mm-hmm. being the beneficiary of this reflected love you know yeah. God's love reflected through him and then reflected through all the people that he affected it's it's really um, shown me what the communion of saints is all about it's a, it's just this love that just multiplies as it works through people's choices to love right and uh you know i, I come out of this whole experience with a great sense of uh, of optimism um mm-hmm. even in the midst of the grief and, and sorrow at, at um, and just simply missing him sure sure you know, and one thing that um we probably don't have a whole lot of time to cover but it it would it is worth mentioning that 
you know, he, he didn't have an easy time of this running up such a business as Pro-Life Action League. Um, you know, there were people trying to shut him down constantly. He, um, he oh, was yeah, every sued. kind of attack you can imagine. Mm-hmm. I mean, we grew up as kids in the Scheidler house listening to people call and tell us they were going to kill our dad, you know. Oh, Frank phone calls, you know, uh, we're coming tonight, um, you know, don't. Don't make you know. Don't leave that. Don't leave the house on a tin. All kinds of threats would come through. We had bricks thrown through our windows. We had our offices mm-hmm. vandalized. You know, he was um, dragged through court repeatedly. The most famously through the National Organization for Women versus Scheidler lawsuit, one mm-hmm. of the most notorious suits in federal court history. Twenty more than twenty years of being dragged through the courts and finally exonerated. Yep. In that case, um, uh, with a unanimous Supreme Court ruling all the way up to the United States Supreme Court. In fact, his memoir, Racketeer for Life, um, the subtitle of it is, you know, fighting the culture of death from the sidewalk to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. You know, so he fought these battles every place, and he was, you know, hit with a lot of grief and a lot of lies told about him over the course of his life. But he didn't let it get to him. Right. Uh, he just kept doing what he knew was right. But, and that's an example for all of us. You know, sure. if, if so many people have come up to me in the last two weeks and said, I figured if Joe Scheidler could get arrested for doing nothing, I figured if Joe Scheidler could get sued as a racketeer for simply standing up for the lives of unborn babies, if mm-hmm. Joe Scheidler could risk losing his home to defend our right to do this stuff, well, heck, the least I can do is go out and pray at my local abortion clinic. And, exactly. and all that that's the example that um, he wanted to, to, to give to the world and in which his life really was. Well, and, and I think we see that really what you all do at Pro-Life Action League is, is very peaceful. I mean, you do make people uncomfortable, no doubt, because you make them think, right? Um, well, people shouldn't be comfortable with abortion. That no. was something my dad was always trying to emphasize. Right. You know, like, oh, you're making people uncomfortable. You're making things difficult. Of course I am. How difficult are things being made for these unborn children whose bodies are ripped limb from limb through through suction machines and, and knives, surgical curates and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely our society should be uncomfortable. Absolutely people should have mm-hmm. a difficult time eating their lunch one day, one day of the year, because they saw an abortion picture outside. Right. Um, this is not an injustice that we can rightly hide away. Um, and my father was adamant about that. Mm-hmm. We have an obligation to show the reality of abortion because the children who are being slaughtered deserve to be seen. They're, they deserve to have the violence done against them exposed. And that's really what Jesus did again and again and again. He exposed violence. Mm-hmm. You know, the admonition to turn the other cheek is really an admonition to say to the other person, you're being violent. Think about it. Think about who you mm-hmm. are and what you're doing. And, and that, that's what the Pro-Life Action League is all about. That's what Joe Shub is all about. And uh, if listeners get to hear this before Wednesday, February 3rd, we are having a Tribute to Joe Scheidler, uh, the evening of uh, February 3rd, uh, Wednesday, and um, people can sign up for that at prolifeaction.org. And we will be remembering this man, looking at some old video clips and hearing some yes. tributes and, and sharing what his legacy was and celebrating his life and legacy and being inspired by it to carry on with our own pro-life work. So check that out at prolifeaction.org if, uh, if you're hearing this in time. And we'll have a replay there as well. So mm-hmm. So and just, that, just so everybody knows, that's the, we were pre-recording the show, so that this is actually airing at 8 a.m. on February 3rd. So Perfect. people should tune in tonight to this um, tribute that you're leading, Eric, and they can actually go to Pro-Life 
ChildrenAction.org to register. Um, if they That's can't right. hear it live tonight, then they can listen to it. Yeah, if you're not around tonight, go ahead and register at ProLifeAction.org because you're going to get a link for the replay. And you're going to get the updates on, on what we discussed and, and what our next steps are going to be to carry this legacy on because this is not simply the matter of celebrating the past. This is a matter of looking at what we've done in the past to build upon that, to build a better future, mm-hmm. a future where we're protecting children in the womb um, from abortion and other harms and welcoming every human being into the human family. Absolutely. All right. Well, you know, Eric, we really appreciate you talking with us today about your father, Joe Scheidler, and um, we hope that everyone will tune in tonight to your tribute show um, and they can do they can figure out how to how to register for that if they go to prolifeaction.org um and that will be at 8 p.m. central time um that will be live with um people like Father Frank Pavone, Lila Rose, David B. Wright, and of course Ann Scheidler who is your mother right. and Joe's wife for a lot of years um well, you know tune in for my sister Kathy she's going to be telling a story from her high school days that you will not believe mm. I'm just going to leave it at that. Tune in tonight to find out what happened to my sister Kathy in high school. Thanks to Joe Scheidler. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, again, thank you for joining us. Um, We're going to go to break now. If you all can stick with us, uh, listeners, we'll be back in just a minute. Thanks, Eric. Thank you. God bless. God bless. I believe I overcome by the power of his blood. Catholic Charities After Supper Visions program offers guests of our Tuesday night supper the opportunity to learn the art of photography. These talented guests who are often experiencing homelessness are offered disposable digital cameras and they work with volunteer professional photographers to learn the basics of taking photos. Then the artists go out and capture images on film of anything they find to be beautiful or interesting in the world. Their photos are amazing. Visit AfterSupperVisions.com to learn more about the artists and their artwork. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, too. At After Supper Visions, we are developing film, talent, and hope. It has been inspiring to see how individuals, families, and communities have found ways to help one another throughout 2020. At Catholic Charities, we usually have 35 to 40 events a year where we gather and enjoy time together in support of important programs and services while raising critical funds that allow us to respond to the growing number of people who are in need of the most basic necessities in life. Many of our events are now virtual. If you would like to be a sponsor for one of these events, please call 312-948-6864. That's 312-948-6864. Also, visit us at catholiccharities.net slash events and follow us on social media too. We so look forward to when we can resume our events in person and reconnect with our friends and partners throughout Chicagoland. For now, please consider donating to Catholic Charities so our vital work can continue. Thousands of people in Chicago count on Catholic Charities every day. Please help us help them today. Learn more at catholiccharities.net. You're listening to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ 750 AM. Every Monday through Friday from 8 AM to 9 AM, the Archdiocese of Chicago presents programming about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago.
Welcome back to Fully Alive, the radio program of the Office of Human Dignity and Solidarity at the Archdiocese of Chicago. You're listening to Dawn and Ray from Respect Life Ministries. And we are um, still wanting to pay a little tribute to Joe yeah. Scheidler. What do, you, what do you think, Ray? What a great, what a great man. What a great man of God. And it's just great to hear all these stories from different angles of his life. As I mentioned in my question, it's he, he lived a full life. He lived the, that fullness of life. And how wonderful that he was gifted with that, uh, such a beautiful death as well. You know, um, here now in a, in a year of St. Joseph, uh, we pray. We pray to uh, and ask for St. Joseph to also uh, um, really call us and grant us that uh, beautiful death, right? Uh, the way sure. that uh, uh, Joe Scheidler was gifted with. I, I just want to tell a, a quick story about this. Uh, maybe it's been 10 years ago now. Um, I started working for the Archdiocese of Chicago. You know, just this little new guy in town. And I've always seen Joe as as this the, the, the godfather of this uh, activism in pro-life in the pro-life movement. And um, I, I know that he was good friends also with my in-laws, the, the Hermanos. And so I, I invited him and Anne to the baptism of my first kid. Again, oh, this is like 10 years ago. Okay. So I'm thinking I mean, he probably won't show up. I mean, this little guy Ray invited him, you know. But the, <laughs> then he actually showed up. And oh my gosh. we still... We still have the book that he gifted my son, uh, the little drummer boy, Aww. and we treasure that. And that's one of my my uh, son's favorite book. He's uh he's eleven now, and it's just a a, just a great testament to the way he spoke to people, mm-hmm. the way he treated people. It's like you you said it, Don. It's like uh, he really saw you, uh-huh. and he was very personal with with that conversation, right? It's well, beautiful. And for as many people as he met over his lifetime you know i i mean i didn't even enter his life until he was in his late 80s right Mm -hmm. so i met him like seven years ago um but he knew me he knew my kids at least about them he Mm -hmm. hadn't met them necessarily i think he may have met my daughter erin at one point when she was in high school Mm -hmm. but um you know he he knew my husband he knew my husband was studying to be a deacon you know just just little things that could easily be dismissed or not even remembered because he had so many people that he knew but I really feel like he he took the time with every person he knew to right. know them, you know, yeah. which is a, a special quality. Um, and and being that he was a bit contemplative, you know, yes. um, yeah. and he was so grounded in prayer. I have to say that chapel that we were talking about um, is really impressive. Mm. Um, it's small, but it's just like going over to the Benedictine monastery. Mm. Um, it's it's definitely set up like a Benedictine chapel. Um, and I've been to the chapel over, um, over at, at the, uh, you know, the monastery in Lyle and it's, it's a lot like it. Yeah. So he really knew what he was doing and was inspired by his Benedictine heritage, certainly. Um, and, and to, to know that God can lead your, your life the way that God did for him. That, Mm -hmm. that was Mm -hmm. just phenomenal. You know, I mean, we, we talk a lot about it as Catholics that you should always ground yourself in prayer and, uh, and listen you know, it's easy. A lot of people think prayer is all about talking, but really, I think if you hear that prayer is all about listening, mm-hmm. then it can guide your life, which is what I think happened with Joe. Yeah, Saint, so. Saint Mother Teresa, I remember her saying something about the fruit of uh, of silence is prayer, and she continues on with the, all these different fruits coming from stemming from that silence. It just starts with that silence of of your heart that turns into prayer, and then from there. 
it turns into action and how beautiful that Joe lived that. Right, right. Well, and, you know, I was listening to some of the stories Eric was telling. um, And, of course, it's phenomenal that he would have met the likes of Mother Teresa and St. John Paul II, who's our personal hero, right? Right. Um, And, of course, Ronald Reagan and Mm -hmm. just people like that. But to think that he shared a cab with George Tiller. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if everyone knows who he is. Famous abortion doctor Mm -hmm. that was actually killed um, when somebody bombed his Mm -hmm. clinic, Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) which is not a good story, but we certainly aren't uh, in favor of that at all. Mm -hmm. But he was an infamous abortion doctor. And can you imagine somebody like Joe sharing a cab with him? I wonder Mm -hmm. what the conversation was like. Right. To be a a fly in that cab, right? Yes. I I know, um, you know, he became he became friends with uh, converted abortion Mm -hmm. doctors. Mm And I, I would imagine he did not. He was nothing but cordial, and um, I don't know how George Tiller was, but yeah. I can imagine that Joe was nothing but cordial, um, and prayed for him. Right, but at the same time, firm with the truth, mm-hmm. in in his yes. uh, yeah, in his conviction of uh, this is wrong. Yeah. And Eric, uh, that's a great reminder that Eric uh, uh, mentioned to us. You know, we, we, yeah, we we shouldn't be comfortable with this. No, no. one should. Well, that's why you know. He, he uh, they did especially early on a lot with those graphic um, pictures, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which you know makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, and and I'm on the pro life side, you know, but to see that truth that it is uncomfortable, it kind of makes you nauseous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then to see what's really happening, I think that the world's become very complacent. Yeah, I mean, for the governor of of you know the governor and the and the mayor in New York to be cheering mm-hmm. at a decision that made them number one at the time in in the abortion statistics of our country to be cheering with be people cheering, yeah. over that decision just tells you that they've gotten really complacent yeah yeah you should, you should really break our heart and and move us to action yes yeah yeah so I mean what this should be one of those things that makes people feel bad makes them uncomfortable it was originally the uh, the rhetoric was mm-hmm. that abortion was going to be safe, legal, and rare. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's certainly not safe. We've shown that. Um, it's certainly not rare. We've killed over 62 million babies legally, yeah. but it is legal. So um, It's also incredible to, to hear the the angle that Eric, you know, saw this all from. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I, I've heard a few of these stories where, you know, bricks are being thrown at, the, at their house and they're getting threats and all these things. He saw this. But yet, yeah. Eric, uh, God bless him. And uh, we continue to pray for, for uh, Pro-Life Action League and what they're doing uh, out there and, and uh, what they're called to do out there. We continue to pray for him. But from Eric's side, seeing that, you know, it, it's kind of natural to be like, mm, not for me. No right. thanks, you know. But somehow, some way, God is calling him. And the whole family really is just a great uh, advocate to uh, to protecting life, standing up for for what's true and right. Well, absolutely. And I think especially when, when you know, righteousness is on your side, like it is in his case and in our case, mm-hmm. considering ourselves, um, you know, we're in pro-life ministries. That's what we do yes. for a living yeah. also, that it is important that you don't let yourself get comfortable. Because mm-hmm. when you do, again, that complacency can set in. So doing things that are a little bit outside of your comfort zone are the only way to stand up for these most vulnerable people yeah. in society, um, you know, whether it's st- standing against abortion or whether it's standing for the elderly or the hungry or anything, we, we have to get out of our comfort zone. Um, yeah. Because if you're if you're just at home and um, you know talking a good a good talk, but you're not really out there doing anything about it, um, 
that yeah. nothing's going to change, right? Right, and and I think that's one of the the the, the key pillars in this uh, this pro life action that we're all called to to do, right? Is is just making sure that we're out there. And yeah, you're you're right. The whole complacency part. Yeah, it, it's it's so much easier not to do anything and just kind of talk from afar, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. But it, it really is a a great call to 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 answer and and be out there as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And well, you know, Joe's personal philosophy was "ora et labora," yes. which means pray and work. Pray and work. You know, um, praying is super important and super to ground yourself. Important. Great to ground foundation yourself. of prayer. Yeah. But you, then you have to listen to what God's telling you to do. Mm-hmm. And if you're if you're really really listening, then you're going to be called to go out and do some work, um, which is what ministry is all about. Certainly. Amen. So, yeah. What a what a phenomenal person! So let's just remind everybody um, that tonight, yes, there is a tribute, an online tribute to Joe Scheidler. You will be able to see um, his family talking about stories um, from living this this life with him, um, including Ann Scheidler, his wife, um, and his children. You'll also get to hear from pro-life heroes like Father Frank Pravone, mm-hmm. Lila Rose, and David B. Wright, all who have um, made names for themselves, certainly, mm-hmm. in the pro-life world and have done things that definitely aren't comfortable to um, help people to understand the truth about abortion um, and to try to change hearts and minds, which is, which is really what we need to do in this. Um, it doesn't, you know, even, even if uh, the legal battle isn't won, we can certainly help people to change their minds and hearts. Right. 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 I think yeah. that's really our job in ministry anyway is if it's wrong, it's just wrong. doesn't matter if it's legal. Amen. Right. Right. So. Uh, yeah. So tune in. Uh, check out uh, Pro-Life Action League, uh, ProLifeAction.org at 8 p.m. Central Time tonight. 8 p.m. Central Time. ProLifeAction.org. Right. So you can sign up to uh, to watch that tribute, um, whether it's live mm-hmm. this evening at 8 p.m. Central or after the fact, it will be recorded, so you can also watch it then. Okay. Well, with that in mind, um, it was wonderful to talk to Eric earlier. We are going to take another break. And when we come back, we're going to introduce you to our new boss. Beautiful. All right. Yep. And uh, we'll talk to you in just a minute. Stick with us. I heard mercy work every day to end poverty and homelessness. We do this on a one-to-one basis with anyone who asks for help. We also work with organizations who study these issues across our city, state, and nation. The Wilson Sheehan Lab for Economic Opportunities, or LEO, at the University of Notre Dame is one of these research centers. Through our partnership with LEO, Catholic Charities has gained valuable insights into scientific evaluation methods that determine the most effective interventions to help people avoid poverty and homelessness. Along with our experience and compassion, Trusted Research is helping Catholic Charities offer hope and so much more to anyone in need. For more information, visit catholiccharities.net. 
Hello, I'm Cardinal Blaise Supich. I got my COVID-19 vaccination and you should too. It took just a few seconds and was painless. The Food and Drug Administration determined the new vaccines are safe and effective. And the Holy See, as well as the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops has concluded getting the COVID-19 vaccine is an act of love of our neighbor and part of our moral responsibility for the common good. We have lived with the pandemic for many months, and I know we're all getting tired of it. Vaccination is one of the most important ways you can protect your health and the lives of those you love and help bring the pandemic under control. When it is your turn, I urge you to be vaccinated. And remember to do your part by wearing a mask, washing your hands, and watching your distance. Thank you, and God bless you all. There is so much waiting for you at Catholic Charities Senior Services. We offer programs and services to help make the most of every day. Friendships and fun are guaranteed at our drop-in senior centers. Our adult daycare centers offer enjoyment and greater supervision to seniors who need it while their caregivers get a break. Holy Family Villa provides a beautiful, safe environment for seniors looking for short or long-term residential facility. And we offer assistance with senior benefits, care coordination, congregate and home-delivered meals, hospital transition, and much more. For more than 100 years, we have accompanied seniors through every transition in their lives, and we are here for you now. Catholic Charities is a name and an agency you can trust. Call Senior Services today at 312-655-7700. That's 312-655-7700. I believe I overcome. You are listening to Fully Alive, the radio program of the Office of Human Dignity and Solidarity at the Archdiocese of Chicago. Um, I'm Dawn, and Ray Pingoy is here with me, and we uh, just paid a great tribute to the legendary Joe Scheidler. Mm -hmm. And now we would like to introduce you to the latest member of our office, That's our right. new boss. <laughs> she is the new director of the Office of Human Dignity and Solidarity. Um, her name is Dr. Angela Swain. She's a business psychologist, executive coach, researcher, and author. And as an expert in organizational behavior, she believes in creating positive workplace cultures through leadership development, professionally and personally. She's also served as a researcher and moderator for the Emotional Intelligence Leadership Institute in Chicago. Um, she's worked a lot conducting training programs with managers, discussing team membership. Um, she also has a whole lot of degrees, which I think is just amazing. Okay. Uh, she has a PhD, an MBA, uh, a master of social work, an MDiv, um, and some special certifications in International Coaching Federation. So all And all of her education is local, which is very interesting, too. She's uh, been married 20 years to her husband, Jonathan, and she has three sons, Jonathan, Isaiah, and Daniel. Welcome, Dr. Swain. Thank you so much for inviting me, Don and Ray. It's a pleasure being with you. Good oh. morning. Good morning. Yes, it's so exciting to have you. We've been we've been long awaiting your <laughs> yes. arrival since last summer. So it's wonderful to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sure. So um, I think it's very interesting. You have a lot of like psychology of workplace kind of background. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. and you also have some theology in your in your um, your cadre of degrees. So so let's talk a little bit about what brought you to the Archdiocese of Chicago. Yes, thank you for asking that question. I get that a lot. So I really feel that uh, the role as director um, with the Archdiocese is actually the job I've been preparing for for the past 20 years that didn't know existed. Sure. Um, and so I really believe that MDiv uh, was an opportunity for me to learn the people that I would be serving. Mm-hmm. Uh, the MSW and the MBA uh, gave me the context in which we're serving them, mm-hmm. um, and the PhD and the certifications, uh, you know, really helped me see the how, how to serve the people and serve the people that um, are on my team as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, it's interesting. I've been in church work, uh, gosh, since 2006 now. Uh, prior to that, I was in business myself, and um, there's definitely a business to churching. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, I mean, we're here to serve obviously. Um, but there's also, you know, you also have to know how to fundraise and how to manage people and how to organize, organize things and run events. And so, so there's a lot of skills that kind of cross over there. Yes, for Mm -hmm. sure. And I think in my, you know, when I was kind of young in ministry, you know, we're definitely talking over 20 years ago, I really saw that, um, pastors and a lot of religious leaders were spiritually, psychologically, emotionally depleted because mm-hmm. because their lives are uh, in service to others. And sure. oftentimes that creates a stress, right, which is totally understandable. Mm-hmm. And so in that space where they, when they were stressed out, they would often um, be frustrated. Um, they, their communication skills weren't, you know, at their, at the highest level, let's just say that. Um, and I really felt that there was a space to develop leaders in the church. Um, And so I didn't know that I would be at the Arch uh, for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. I actually remember when I was going through the programs, you know, I was uh, a young mother and raising my my sons. And I was, you know, in my frustration, I would say, Mom, why am I doing this? You know, and she would always tell me, keep going. God will show you, and it will all make sense in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's literally um, how it happened. And in terms of how I came to the Archdiocese, um, I was, you know, looking at the website, and I thought, oh, my gosh, this is what my mom was referring to. Mm-hmm. It literally, I, I feel like, and I, I don't quilt. I'm not creative in that way, <laughs> uh, that capacity. But I really feel like my life— um, from the experiences that I've had, the, the ministries that I've been a part of, and the educational background that I have, the Holy Spirit has really been stitching the various patches of my life's quilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and he seemed to do that beautifully in this role at the Archdiocese. Yeah, the, thanks again for joining us. And uh, as Don mentioned, we've been awaiting and, and praying for for you to uh, uh, to join us, and finally we uh, we had a great conversation last week. Can you actually yeah. can you define what exactly do you mean when uh, this is a, a great way to uh, make sure that all of us, us leaders and we are leaders in in these uh, great movements of pro life, immigration, uh, peace and justice, all all of these uh, office of human dignity and solidarity stuff, right? What does what does um, emotional intelligence mean, and and why do we need to kind of highlight that in in our role as leaders? Sure. So emotional intelligence is defined differently, right? There's no one 
sort of operative definition, which mm-hmm. is why I spent, you know, five years defining it <laughs> uh, in my dissertation. But essentially, it it really is looking at how well a person acknowledges, understands. Um, their feelings and how they can acknowledge, validate, observe, and navigate those feelings of another person. Um, and I think, you know, that although I am outcome-driven, I always say, uh, and my, my colleagues always tell me that I'm very outcome-driven, but emotional intelligence would look at that drive, but uh, to have that drive not at the expense of other people. Um, so the, the key to emotional intelligence is looking at those relationships as the driver to accomplish those tasks, right, to accomplish our mission at the archdiocese. Mm-hmm. And then the key to those relationships is communication, and the key to that is then having higher levels of emotional intelligence. Okay, so it, it sounds like you're going to be able to help us work with all the other departments really well. <laughs> Absolutely. And so I think the first, you know, month, you know, my goal is really to gather information, mm-hmm. you know, so meeting wonderful people like you and, and, and Ray and your team, you know, meeting people in the immigration department, meeting people who work in the school systems um, on, with domestic violence, mm-hmm. um, uh, people who have experienced domestic violence, et cetera, right? And really mm-hmm. seeing what are their roles. Right. What are their job descriptions? You know, I, have, I am a business psychologist, so I do have a very consultant like approach to some of these things. And then really see how do our various areas fit into the larger mission of our church, um, mm. which is to serve. Um, well, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say this is this is very interesting, I think, to us because we've been, you know, operating under a new structure for like the last four years, right, Ray? Mm-hmm. Um, where we used to be our own department, Respect Life, and now we are a part of a, a larger group called the Office of Human Dignity and Solidarity. Um, but one of the things that we've been struggling to do is to kind of merge all of these uh, priorities so that people realize that, you know, my my ministry is important and your ministry is important, um, and we should be able to work together in in bringing Absolutely. people to Jesus, really. Yeah. Um, because sometimes I think people think or they, they get to where they want to squash other ministries so that theirs rises to the top, which isn't really the way it should go. Right, exactly. And I, I really believe in, you know, the theology of the body and that we really also need each other to accomplish this. You know, there's, you know, the scripture, mm-hmm. um, and I can't think of that off the top of my head right now, but, you know, we are one body. Yes. You know, there we have many parts, but we have mm-hmm. one function. Yeah. And that function, Don, to you and Race Point, is to serve others, is to bring glory to God and to bring people to Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, that is our role. And, you know, my dissertation looked at the relationship between managers, emotional intelligence, and employee voice. And so, you know, I am not like, oh, you know, what Dr. Swain says goes, right? I will be talking to people. I will be asking for input because in order for it to happen, it takes the entire village. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and there's so many things the church does that's important. It, it really isn't fair to say that any one ministry is more important than any other. Um, exactly. Although there are some things that need some priority at different times, for sure, Um but but that doesn't mean that other people's passions aren't important. So, um, and then that's what I, I kind of see happening in our parishes sometimes is uh, it's it's like a cult of personality in that who's who's got mm-hmm. the loudest voice about their ministry that they want to put in the forefront, you know, 
Um, exactly. Which isn't, wait, because all of the, our ministries have, have importance for sure. So. Right. And I'm so glad you brought up passion, Don, because one of the, the most amazing things that I've heard and seen the past two weeks that I've been here, I feel like I've been here forever and it's amazing. <laughs> it's, only been, it's only been two weeks, but I really, I really can feel and hear the passion and the love that my team has for others and for doing the will of God yes. in this earth. And it's, it's really encouraging and it's really, really heartwarming. Great. That's a great reminder to uh, that. You know, we're we're not we're not program programmers in the sense of you know going to parishes and hey, this is the program you need to kind of do. And you know, we're really uh, and again, this is your reminder to us is we're really relational, mm-hmm. and we need to make yeah. sure that we're there alongside them in, in any way yeah. that we can help. Right? So, exactly. Great. Well said, Ray. Thank you. Okay, well, we are just about out of time. It, it's really been great to have you here and to introduce you to our listening audience. Um, and, of course, people now can listen to this right on YouTube. So um, they can see your picture there. <laughs> thank <laughs> Which, you. After interviewing you. And I'm sure we'll have you on again in the future. So thank you all, uh, Chicago, for listening to Fully Alive, the radio program of the Office of Human Dignity and Solidarity. Special thanks to Eric Scheidler yes. for... Uh, helping us to pay tribute to Joe Scheidler, his father, who died on the 18th of January and is just a legend in the pro-life world. Um, And a reminder, you should tune in tonight to the tribute to Joe Scheidler at ProLifeAction.org. And thanks for being here. God bless you all. We'll talk to you in March. Covered in sin and shame I heard mercy call my name He rolled the sun away Amen, amen I'm alive, I'm alive because He lives Join us every Monday through Friday at this time for Catholic Chicago. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.